0: In recent times, for quite some time now, we've been studying the Pentateuch. We've been looking at various aspects of these five books of Moses. Uh, There are different things that we have noted. Character studies, certain features of the books, uh, different things that are highlighted in the books. There are types and ceremonies. There are people Uh, who we can study and learn lessons for our own lives from what we read there. Right in the midst of Genesis we have the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar is introduced to us as Sarai's handmaid. She was not an Israelite. She was an Egyptian. Sarai had an idea that she might be able to circumvent God's promise to give her and Abram a son. Perhaps they were fed up waiting. Perhaps they thought it would never occur. But whatever the situation, Sarai realized that she was barren. She realized she was now an old woman. She was not able to have children, humanly speaking. And she said to Abram, Here's what you should do. You should have a child with my handmaid, Hagar. And Abram foolishly took up that suggestion. And we read about it here in Genesis 16 and verse 4. It went then unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. She began to feel uh, somewhat of a resentment toward Sarah, for some reason. This resulted in Sarah understanding that she'd made a huge mistake. And she said, The Lord's going to have to deal with that. Verse 5 The Lord judged between me and thee. And Abram said to Sarah, Well, look, she's in your hand. You can do with her whatever you want to do. And the Bible tells us what Sarah did. Verse 6 She dealt hardly with her. And she fled from her face. It's a sad story in many ways. Hagar, in some respects, was a victim. She was not responsible, in one sense, for all of the fallout here. But nonetheless, when Hagar was sent out from that home into the wilderness, alone, friendless, and having to deal with this young child that was to be born. She was frightened. And she was certain of one thing, that God was probably nowhere to be seen in her life. And yet in this trial, we know that God knew exactly where Hagar was. He knew every move that she made. And the Lord actually came to her in the form of the angel of the Lord To reassure her heart. We see this in verse 7 onwards. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. By the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou and whither wilt thou go? Where did you come from? Where are you going? And she said, basically I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said, return to thy mistress. Submit thyself under her hands. And I'm going to multiply your seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. There's going to be an amazing number that will accrue from the birth of this child. And the angel went on to say, Behold, thou art with child, thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. He goes on to say, He'll be a wild man, His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And I could today expound to you the history of the Arab nations and the conflict that there's been constantly in the Middle East since then between the progeny of Isaac and of Ishmael. But I'm not going to do that today. I'll just leave that for you to consider. Big doors swing on very small hinges. But notice in verse 13 this significant statement that Hagar made. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer Lahiroi. It's between Kadesh and Bered. God showed up in the middle of what was a human nightmare. And Hagar began to show amazement at this profound truth. That God Almighty actually had his eye upon her. So much so that she called the Lord by this name. It's not that she merely made the statement, God sees me. She actually gave to the Lord this name. The name which in the Hebrew is El Roy. It literally means, Thou God seest me. Hagar was amazed that God actually cared about her. So much so that she gave the Lord this name, Thou God Seest me, And then there was a well of water there, and she called that well Bir Lahairoi, which means the well of one who lives and seeth me. And you can see that in your authorised version. Beside verse 14, there is a little number, there should be if you have a marginal rendering, a reference in your Bible. And it says there, Bir Lahairoi, that is, the well of him that liveth and seeth me everybody here in this congregation and those that are watching online needs to understand that the very same God here in the Pentateuch who saw Hagar sees you he knows where you are where I am this morning He knows, furthermore, exactly what we're going through in our individual lives. Thou, God, seest me. This is really a statement of a wonderful biblical doctrine. A doctrine, by the way, that is highlighted throughout the Pentateuch. Whenever you read the Bible, you find that there are certain doctrines about God that are highlighted. One is the omnipotence of God. The omnipotence of God is that ability to do whatever He wants to do. That's consistent with Him being God. Now some clever people will say, well God can't tell lies, can He? So He can't do everything. God can do all that is consistent with His being as God. If God were to tell lies, He would not be God. So when we say God can do anything, you understand what we mean. He is omnipotent. Not only is he omnipotent, but the Bible teaches us as well that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere present in his fullness at the same point in time. Now I know that that is impossible for us to reconcile with our finite minds. How can God be present in his fullness everywhere in the universe at the same point in time? It's not that one millionth of God is here and another one millionth of God is here. It's that God in His fullness dwells everywhere at the same point in time. That's His omnipresence. And that's taught in the Pentateuch and everywhere else in the Bible furthermore. The Lord is everywhere present. But there's another great doctrine and it's highlighted here in this very statement. It is The omniscience of God. He is the omniscient God. This is a doctrine that is taught throughout the Bible. God sees you. He sees me. And it's not a vision that is without interest. It's not that God sees, but it's of no consequence to him. If you're a believer in Christ, especially today, this is a word for Christians, the Lord sees you and the Lord cares about your situation. Two verses come to mind in this regard as far as God's concern for his people. As far as that goes. One of them is Psalm 17 and verse number 8. And the other is Zechariah, the minor prophet. Chapter 2 and verse number 8. So first of all, Psalm 17 verse 8. Here's the prayer of the psalmist. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Now we know that terminology in our lives. Somebody we view as the apple of our eye. You know what people mean when they say that. She's the apple of his eye. Well, God views us in that way. And the psalmist could pray along those lines. Keep me as the apple of the eye. When you go over to that verse that I mentioned, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse number 8, this is further highlighted by the Lord. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath He sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. So there it is. You're the apple of the Lord's eye if you're a child of God. That's how He cares for you. And so when we read this statement, this wonderful name that was given to the Lord by Hagar... It has application to us. Thou, God, seest me. And so it is this doctrine of the omniscient God that I want us to consider today. And what a blessed doctrine it is. It's a matter of certainty. I was just doing a little Bible study of my own in regard to this. Just a a kind of concordance study, if you like. You know how that goes if you get yourself a good concordance and you will find that there are a number of those that are available. A friend of mine once told me there's Strong's concordance for the strong, there's Young's concordance for the young and there's Cruden's concordance for the crude. So I like Young's analytical concordance. It's a wonderful uh, tool to have. But I was just doing a little quick study on God's seeing. It begins in Genesis chapter 1. And a number of times you'll read, God saw. Beginning in chapter 1 verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good. And then as you further advance through the chapter, God saw that it was good. And again, God saw that it was good. And you read it again. And God saw that it was good. God sees everything. And as you just go through Genesis, you'll find many different references to what the Lord sees. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So there you have again. The omniscient God seeing all that's taking place in the earth. Every single man, what he's doing, what he's thinking, how he's behaving. Again, in Genesis 31 and verse 42. And by the way, I'm not going to give you all the references. I'm just going to pick out a few here. In Genesis 31 and verse 42. The Bible says, "Except." The God of my father, the God of Abram, the fear of Isaac, had been with me. Surely thou had sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labour of my hands. As you go into the book of Exodus, the children of Israel are having a hard time under their taskmasters. They may have thought to themselves, nobody cares, nobody sees, nobody knows. But yet the truth was, Exodus 3 verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry and I know their sorrows. I have seen. He knew all about it. He saw every bit of it. Again, Exodus 32 and verse 9. It tells us there, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, the saying of the Lord is in a different respect. He sees their waywardness, he sees their wickedness, he sees what's in their hearts. He's the omniscient God. And again, this is repeated in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 9, and in verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So there's a certainty to this. That God sees all. And Hagar brings it down to the personal. Thou, God, seest me. Now, what does the word omniscience signify? It really means possessing total knowledge... Or knowing everything. When we say that God is an omniscient God. We're saying that he knows absolutely everything that there is to know. And the proof of his omniscience can be found in scripture. In relation to the character of God. We can say if he was not omniscient he would not be God. The Greeks used to call God Theos. That's where you get the word theology from. It's from a Greek word that has to do with God. It's the study of God. Theology. Theos. God. That Greek word comes from a root word that means the one who sees. The one who sees. And so the very concept of deity, godhood, revolves around his ability to see everything in his creation. The ancients even saw God as a being who could take in the whole of his creation with a single glance. He sees it all. One who knows every detail in his universe with complete knowledge. Thou God seest me, the one who sees. C.H. Spurgeon said that It were as impossible to conceive of a God who did not observe everything as to conceive of a round square. God sees all. This is His character. And He knows everything, not just because of who He is, but also because of where He is. If you read Psalm 139... We haven't time to go through all those verses today. The psalmist there reminds us of the omnipresence of God. But he also reminds us of the omniscience of God. He's everywhere present. You couldn't even go into hell without the Lord being there. You can't ascend up into heaven without Him being there. You could take the wings of the morning and and be in the uttermost parts of the sea. And even there, he said, shall I hand lead me. God is everywhere present. But not only that. He sees all about us. He sees what we do. He is around us. He is beneath us. He is above us. He is within us. He is one who fills all. Someone said it would be easier to escape from your own skin than it would be to escape from God. God. But let's be clear, we're not teaching, as pagans do, the doctrine of pantheism. See, there are some people who will teach that God is in everything, and therefore everything is God. That's a falsehood. That's a complete falsehood. That is not biblical. That is a pagan belief. Nevertheless, God knows Everything, because of who He is and because of where He is and also because of how He acts what He does we're not deists we don't believe that God created everything and then ran away and left it He's not disconnected from His creation but rather He sends the rain He withholds the rain that's taught in the Bible the Lord's in charge of the weather those guys that appear on your television screen and tell you, keep it right here on this channel. Because we've got the latest Doppler radar. We're going to tell you all that's going to happen. And when the day comes, the next day, all that they told you was complete garbage. They missed it completely. I recall one day going out to church with my wife and cars were slithering all over the place, crashing all over the place on 309 going down into Allentown it was unbelievable and we didn't know what to do will we turn back, will we go, what will happen what had happened was there had been a a very sudden deep freeze that had come, the weather men were caught off guard, they didn't know what was going to happen so there were no weather warnings and therefore the trucks had not put that wonderful stuff on the the roads that they put there to, to stop the ice from causing havoc and it was a major incident because they don't really know but God's in control of the weather God is in control of everything and my Bible speaks to me about the control of God as well as the character of God he not only is not disconnected from his creation but he actually sees that sparrow that falls to the ground ever think about that one little bird there is not one sparrow Jesus said that falls to the earth without your father not one he knows the very number of hairs on your head now I grant you for some of us it wouldn't be as difficult to count the number of hairs on the head but he knows the the number of the roots as well I've spoken of this before how long my wife and I have been married we're coming up on Better get this right now, I'll get spoken to when I get home. 42 years next month. 42 years. I still don't know how many hairs there are on her head. Though I've been getting a little practice with her hair recently. She doesn't know how many hairs are on my head. She always used to cut my hair. Until it got to be, it was a waste waste of time. But she doesn't know the number of hairs on my head. She doesn't. My mother and every mother took a great interest in her children. And even though you love your children so very, very much, you cannot tell the number of hairs on your child's head. And you're going to tell me that a mother doesn't have a close interest in her child? Of course she does. But she's not able to tell the number of hairs on their head. But the Bible says that the Lord knows the very number of hairs on our head. Matthew chapter 10. So think about this. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, you can see the hand of God actively involved in His creation. He controls everything in this world, and He knows everything about it. He knows everything about it. And He knows everything because He is God and because He is everywhere, and because He controls everything. And it's also clear to us from Scripture that He knows what's going to take place before it ever takes place. Before it ever happens. How does God know the future? Well, not only does He know it because He's God, but He has planned it. The Lord has planned your future. That which lies before you this year As I was emphasising on Wednesday night. It's unknown to you. It's an uncharted path. We haven't passed this way heretofore. But the Lord knows all about it. Because He has planned it. Right down to the most infinitesimal detail. How do you know? Ephesians 1.11 Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. All things. There's nothing that happens in this world That is not part of God's eternal, perfect, unstoppable plan. Now I know people choke on that doctrine. They don't like it. But that's their problem. It happens to be the truth. What a blessing it is to know that God is in control and that God sees everything. He's planned it. Romans 8.28 says and we know and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. A God who has a purpose who plans everything surely knows all things. So there's the certainty of this great doctrine about the omniscient God. Hagar learned that. But also we have to think about the consequences of this omniscience. Thou God seest me. That means he sees all things all the time. Now if that's true, what does that mean for you? And what does it mean for me? If God sees everything, he knows everything. It can't be hidden from him. Well, we have to stop and say that it's a solemn thought to begin with. It's a very challenging thought. It's a very convicting thought. The Lord sees and He knows everything. I'll guarantee you that you wouldn't want everything that was ever in your mind to be splashed up on a screen on the wall for everyone to see. Everything that you've ever done in your life that was wrong, you wouldn't want that to be public knowledge or even knowledge among God's people. But God sees and knows everything. Everything. His knowledge of me is personal. Thou, God, seest me. Elroy. That means that God sees me just like if there was no one else in creation. He sees me. We look out on, on a congregation like I am right now and I see everybody, but I see you one at a time. I can't look at everybody at the same time. My eyes don't let me do that. But God can see each Thing and each person at the same time and he can give each person his full attention that's why when I pray and you're praying at the same time and somebody on the other side of the world is praying at the same time God hears all of those prayers and is able to answer all those prayers it's not like the Lord says now wait a minute there's a line here like the doctor's office you have to wait for your appointment no he sees everything at the same time he knows all at the same time And his eye is upon us. You are the particular object of his care. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. That's the thrilling thought that comes to every Christian. When he realizes that if he had been the only sinner on the face of the earth, Jesus would have come into this world and would have died for him. What a tremendous thought that is and his knowledge of us therefore is personal and his knowledge of us is perfect it's perfect our vision is not perfect and when I go to the op- whatever the name is back home it's easier to say the optician ophthalmologist, is that it? people that look at your eyes the eye doctor, that's, that's it, the eye doctor you realize you've got a problem, you've got a stigmatism, you've got a little bit of a cataract coming on and you realize the advancing ages is, is upon you whenever you start getting that little bit of cloudiness. It's not ripe yet, it's not ready to be taken off yet, but one of these days you're going to have that cataract removed. Your eyes are not perfect, you don't have 20-20 vision. And that's why you wear these things. But God doesn't need spectacles, and He doesn't need a telescope. He doesn't need anybody to improve His eyesight. He sees everything, and He knows everything. He knows us entirely. He knows us completely. He knows us outside and in. Every thought, every imagination, before it's ever formed in your mind, He knows about it. Psalm 139, verse 4. And there's a great challenge in that, isn't there? The word omniscient implies absolute sight. Uh, When we think that we see ourselves, but others often see us better than we see ourselves, and other people can judge us based on certain things, some people might be able to tell some of what we're thinking, they might be able to guess at some of our motives. But there's no one on this earth that will ever know us the way the Lord knows us. He's able to interpret our thoughts and our deeds and our motives. That which is public, that which is private. Our parents, our spouses, our dearest friends, our loved ones, our children, they may know us intimately, but they'll never know us like God knows us. And furthermore, God knows you better than you know yourself. See, I think I know all about me, warts and all. But I'll never know my own heart like God knows it. He knows all that there is to know about me. And that knowledge, that perfect knowledge, it is perpetual. The word seest here, if you look at the Hebrew language, it's a present tense verb. It really signifies that God sees and He always sees. In other words, there's never a time when His eye is not upon us. There's never a time when His eyes are not watching us. That's not true of other people. Other people see us at certain times, other times they don't see us. And when the eyes of men are nowhere around, that's when we tend to let down our guard. We might say things to one another within the confines of our homes that we wouldn't want people outside of our homes to hear. It'd be too embarrassing. But God knows. God sees. And when others are gone, and when the door is closed, and when darkness has enveloped us, and we think we're all alone, the eyes of Almighty God are upon us. The story is told of a thief who, when he was in a certain place, he had stolen a bunch of stuff, and he was looking all around, and he was quite happy that no one had seen him. But he forgot to look up, because in the high-rise building nearby, there was someone watching everything that he was doing. So he looked all around, but he forgot to look up. And isn't that what we do? We look all around. Nobody else sees. But we forget to look up. Because he sees. And he knows. Every motive of the heart. The eyes of the Lord. Are upon us. So omniscience. Is a very challenging. Thought. So we have talked here. About. About the certainty of this. We have spoken as well about the consequences of this. But surely when we think about this great statement, thou God seest me, we may consider the comfort of this. It is challenging, of course it is. It's convicting, thou God seest me, of course it is. And would we not act differently? Would we not behave differently? If we were always conscious of the fact that the Lord sees us. Isn't that why the psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. So when you realize that He sees and He knows, what a check that is to our hearts. But while it's challenging and convicting, it's also comforting. It's comforting. And I think that's the context in which Hagar was speaking here. Thou God seest me. She said that because she was comforted by the thought that the Lord saw her plight. The Lord saw her situation. She wasn't bothered by the fact that the Lord saw her. But the complete knowledge of God about her situation right then was a very comforting thought. And you and I may be comforted this morning as we look at this wonderful truth of the omniscient God that He is aware of our praying. Now look here at the context Whenever Hagar was with this child, the Lord said that he heard the voice of the child when he cried. The Lord heard the voice of the child. Even a child's cry, God hears. God heard the voice of the lad. The Bible tells us God heard the voice of the lad the Lord sees when we pray in this passage you'll discover that Hagar was actually running away she was in a time of terrible distress it was a time of trial but in the midst of that she had a conversation with the Lord that's what we refer to as prayer that's what we're doing when we're talking to the Lord and He's talking to us. That's prayer. It's a two-way street. I talk to Him. I have His Word open before me and He talks to me. We commune with one another. And this is the promise of God that He will hear us when we pray. There's so many verses that speak to this. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. You can read Isaiah 65, 24. Or God's telephone number, as one preacher called it. Jeremiah 333. 3, 3. Jeremiah 33. 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God hears prayer. But aren't there times when we can't articulate our prayers? We can't get them into words. I think of that in the book of Lamentations, when Jeremiah said... Thou drewest near at my breathing, at my cry. At my breathing. He couldn't even articulate a prayer, but the Lord understood the desires of His heart. And as a God who sees all things, who sees even the thoughts of your heart that you can't express, He hears the prayers that are unspoken. He interprets our tears. We don't always need to frame our prayers in words. Sometimes we're choking back the tears. We can hardly speak the words. But the Lord knows the depth of the petition that's behind that. Because he knows us intimately. God is aware of our praying. Unanswered yet the prayers of many years. The hymn says you shall have your desire. Sometime Somewhere. Keep praying. That loved one who looks like he's beyond hope, that situation that seems to be completely incapable of being recovered, the Lord is able to answer prayer. He's aware of our praying. Thou God seest me. Lord, as I'm knelt here in prayer, as I'm calling upon you uh, for something that nobody else knows anything about, Thou God seest me. He's aware of our praying. And he's also aware of our pain, our suffering. My pastor used to quote this all the time There's not a pang that rends the heart, but the man of sorrows has a part. He's the sympathizing Jesus. Here's a woman in Genesis 16 who is suffering. Here's one who has been cast out. She's rejected, she's been abused, she's hated. She's on her own with a child. She's on the run. She's got a broken heart. She doesn't know what to do. But in her pain, she encounters a God who sees and knows all about her. And there are suffering people all over the world today. There are suffering Christians. You know there are people that you know and they've got a smile on their face, but behind that smile there's some tremendous agony and pain. And they don't feel able to tell you about it. And they have heartaches that they keep hidden from everybody else around them. And therefore people around, they don't see and they don't understand. But there's a God in heaven who knows about it all think of Job what an example is Job what terrible things Job had to encounter losing all his wealth losing his health losing his children all ten of them in one day his friends turned against him and his wife the very one that he should have been able to trust for solace and comfort above everything else the one that lived with him at the home, who actually, by the way, was suffering with him, she lost the children as well. They were her children. But what did she say? Curse God and die. God doesn't care about you. Curse God and die. And this is what Job has to put up with. And yet, what does he say? Chapter 23, verse 10. When he can't find the Lord going forward or backward or to the side. But he knoweth the way that I take. There it is. There is the omniscience of God. There is, thou God seest me. He knoweth the way that I take. He knows all about me. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He performeth the thing that is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. The Lord knows where you are today. We don't know what lies around the next bend in the road. But the Lord knows. He's been there before us. And the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That word casting in 1 Peter 5, 7 uh, is a word that's an interesting word. It was used of those who threw their garments on the ground in front of the Lord when he went into Jerusalem on that little animal. They threw their coats over the animal. They threw their coats on the ground in front of them. Casting all your care. Throwing it all over on the Lord. That's what it means. Just just throwing it all onto Him. Unburden yourself with it. And burden Him with it. Because He's able to help you like none other. He cares for you. He knows your pain. Hebrews 4.15 We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, you might say, well, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands me. Nobody cares about me. But Jesus cares if you're His. He cares. And He knows. And He enters right into your grief. And He's able to work out your situation to the very best conclusion for His glory and for your good. He's able to give beauty for ashes the Lord can bring great joy out of the deepest pain. You know it's interesting how God takes broken things and uses them. I did a study once on that. You may remember that long time ago, the broken things that God took and used. He's aware He's aware of our praying. He's aware of our pain. He's aware, furthermore, of our problems. You know, Hagar was a woman who had been slandered. That's an interesting fact. She was really just a slave in Abram's home, a servant, slave. And she'd been forced by her mistress, Sarai, into a situation that she couldn't avoid. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't her choice. And now she's forced to bear the brunt of the anger of that mistress. And she's slandered by her mistress. And I'm quite certain there are Christians who, through their Christian lives, have been misrepresented, they have been misunderstood. They've been the focus of malicious gossip. Maybe somebody's hateful words. And yet God knows and God sees the truth. God knows about your circumstances and He knows what the truth is. And sometimes we think, well I'd like to set the record straight. You may not be able to. You may not get the chance to set the record straight. And even if you did, people wouldn't believe you. But Job was able to say, my record is on high. The Lord's keeping the score. The Lord knows what the truth is. Remember David? The young man, he's sent by his father. There you can read about it in 1 Samuel 17. I want you to take bread and cheeses and so on to your brothers that are in the field. They're going to fight with the Philistines. And all he's doing is obeying his father's will. That's all. He's just obeying his father's command to go and provide them with things. And when he goes to the battlefield and he starts talking about the situation, his brother Eliab starts to ridicule him. And talks about his pride and the naughtiness of his heart. And he completely misunderstood him. And Saul was the same. Took up the slander. What did David do? He just went out there and faced the giant and got the victory. Sometimes we don't have the ability to answer the slander. We just have to live for God and do the right thing and stay the course. And the Lord will enable you to show in time what the truth is to those who would damage your good name. The Lord's aware of our problems Thou God seest me, the Lord is aware of our position. And what I mean by that is, the Lord knows where we stand spiritually. And I'm going away from the text a little bit here. But in a sense I'm not. Because when you look at Hagar, she was not of Israel. She was not of the commonwealth of Israel. She was a stranger from the covenants of promise. She was an Egyptian by birth. A heathen, in other words. A pagan. We would call her a Gentile sinner. And she ran away. But she never got away from the eye of God. The eye of God was upon her. That heathen woman. Out there in the wilderness. The Lord saw her. And maybe there's someone who will hear this message or is hearing it. And you're lost, you're a sinner, you're out of Christ and without a saviour. You don't know the God of Israel. And you may imagine therefore that God has no thought for you. God doesn't care about you. God's eye is not upon you. It doesn't matter even if it is. But the truth is he sees everything about you. He knows all about you. He knows all about your sinfulness. He knows every motive. And yet at the same time, if you come to Him in repentance and faith, He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to cleanse you. He's willing to make you a child of God and to bring you in and to bless you just as He blessed Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael's name signifies heard of God. God hears. All oh, the God who sees is the God who hears. And today, today we need to think about this. As believers, Thy God seest me. You know my fears. You know the anxiety that I have. You know all the trepidation I have about certain situations in my life. You know all about my worries. Thou God seest me. The Lord is able to bless us. The Lord is able to help us. The Lord is able to see us through. Just as he did with Hagar. May we prove that this omniscient God sees all because he loves us. He cares for us. He wants to help us. May we trust Him. May we look to Him for all things.